Friends, as we continue here at North Holland, our series during the season of Lent has been around the parables of Jesus. And so parables are stories with intent that are given to us to better understand the king and the kingdom as Jesus shared during his years here on this earth. And so today I invite you to turn your Bibles actually to two spots, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and Luke 6, 64, I'm, no, 6, 46 through 49. Easy to switch things up there. Um, as we look at Matthew 7 and Luke 6, this is the same parable told in two different Gospels. And so both Matthew and Luke have a record of the parable of the two builders, the one who builds on sand and the one who builds on the rock. This might be a familiar parable already. But in Matthew 7 and Luke 6, uh, we hear just different wording, perhaps. So as you hear both of these, I invite you to pay attention for as both Matthew and Luke were inspired to write down what they had heard of this parable, how they had heard it, pay attention maybe to how the Holy Spirit speaks or convicts you with, hey, that wording actually caught me a little bit differently. Maybe there's something there that God invites you to pay attention to. Or perhaps it's the similarity, the phrase for phrase that is exact, that you're like, okay, God, the repetition, I get it. You really want me to pay attention to that. As you hear both of them, know that they are both good and true. But as we hear them, both different and similar wording might help us to pay attention in all of the right ways. And so I'll read Matthew 7 first, 24 through 27, and then Luke 6, 46 through 49. After both of them are read, um, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful, I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. But before we read God's word together, let's pray. Lord, you and you alone are God. You and you alone reign over us, watch over us, and care for us. And you and you alone can lay the foundation for our life that can be firm and trustworthy, unchanging and solid and steady. And so as we turn our attention to your word, ultimately, God, put us in touch with you, with, with your truth, with your love for us, with your challenge to us. May we hear it with ears to hear, with hands that will serve, with hearts that are ready to love, with mouths that are ready to speak, and with minds that are ready to think. Lord, give us all of these things as we approach your word, that we can put into practice that which you call us to do. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Turning also to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. No, indeed. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am one of those people that if I am going to take a flight on a plane, it's just kind of a game that I play to see if I can befriend and make conversation with the person next to me. Now, I know that some of you who travel a lot for work, I know that you hate people like me. I also want you to know that if I get the picture, somebody's tired, they've been on their flights, they've been away from home, they're kind of grouchy, I think I can pick up on that and I'll just like leave them alone and earbuds are a great signal that says, don't talk to me, leave me alone. I get it, I can leave well enough alone. But when I can, I like to strike up conversation. It's kind of fun, it's a game I play. It's kind of like, well, if I can strike up a conversation, cool, and better yet, if I can, and we have some fun talking. And that was been a practice of mine kind of forever. I don't fly a lot, um, but I've been doing this even before I got my favorite t-shirt to wear when I travel now. My favorite t-shirt was gifted to me a couple years ago. It says, I love God, but some of his children get on my nerves. It is such a good conversation starter. Um, Everybody's got something to say about that. But before I had that shirt, I remember in college, I went out to visit my sister. Uh, She was going to college in California, and I was going to college in Iowa. So you imagine for spring break, I decided to go visit my sister, Jill, um, because she's my sister, and I love her, and also California, Iowa, and that's nothing against Iowa. But um, on that flight in particular, um, I was religion major at Northwestern, I was studying Greek, and I had my Greek New Testament and some other articles with me that I was trying to read, do some translation on the plane. And I was sitting next to someone who was probably about my age now, um, back when I was in college, and I mean, he looks at what I'm reading and asks me, um, are you a student? Yes, fair question. And I said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a studying religion. Oh, good. And his response was, um, I'm a Jew, but I don't practice. I said, okay, interesting, taking that in. And then he responded, are you a person of faith or is this just an act of study? And I was like, oh, uh, and almost a little bit taken off guard, even winning at my own game, conversation was happening, but I wasn't maybe expecting it. I don't think I made the most of the opportunity. And I was like, oh no, I'm I'm a person of faith. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. And he said, oh, do you practice? Do you practice? And I, and I didn't know how to answer the question in the moment. I think in, in that kind of college over-intellectual environment, I was overthinking the question and what it meant. And I mean, do I kind of try to practice? Well, sort of, yeah, but am I good at it? I don't really know. And I overthought it. And so my response was just a stuttering, uh, I mean, uh, I, 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 I try to practice. Did not make the most of the opportunity by a long shot. 
to talk about faith. Now, understanding in particular that the gentleman who was sitting next to me was Jewish, um, which in that case, yes, you can be born, but your ethnicity, family from Israel, you can be an Israelite, um, you can be a modern-day Jew and not be practicing religious, practicing religiously. But as a Christian, maybe what took me off guard a little bit was, I don't know what it means to be a Christian and not to practice. In fact, if there's something in this parable that stands out to me in terms of repetition, it's that in Matthew 7 and Luke 6, after Jesus has taught and shared much, especially in Matthew 7, some of the wording that we're familiar with from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, lots of the quintessential teaching of Jesus. We get to the end of it, and this parable is like the finishing touch for everything that Jesus has shared. And so after all of the sermon that he gives, the therefore, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's talking about the entire Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the same is true in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, hearing is the starting point, receiving, but then puts them into practice. I will show you what they are like. Do we hear it all and put it into practice? Are you a practicing Christian? And I think by practicing, I mean that you're not just a Christian theoretically. Like, if push comes to shove, if you had to fill out a forced choice exercise of religious affiliation, like, well, I mean, I guess that's the closest thing, but maybe that wouldn't be a practicing Christian. Are you a practicing Christian? Do we hear the words of Jesus? Do we understand what the Bible teaches? And do we put it into practice? Or is it more of a theoretical thing? Are you a Christian in practice? Or are we maybe a little out of practice, like an athlete out of season? Are you a Christian in name only, or a Christian in being not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word? I find a lot of grace, though, in that word practice. There is grace in the word practice to say that Jesus doesn't call us to be perfect Christians, though he does invite us to pursue perfection as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Of course, that's the far-off end game. That's the, the North Star that we orient ourselves, is to live in perfect love of God and perfect love of neighbor. Of course, that's the end game, but if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are imperfect. And so Jesus calls us not to say you're not good enough if you're not perfect. And so for those of us with a little bit of internal perfectionism, it's good to be reminded that in response to the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks us to practice. Put them into practice. And there's grace in the word practice. Because practice, for one, does not mean performance, and it doesn't mean perfection. It means continued attempt. And what are the things that you can say that you are if you don't practice them? I mean, for instance, I would not call myself a piano player. Can you turn this on, Tim, for fun? <laughs> for me. I mean, I'm not a piano player, but I, I remember this. 
was trying to do in Christ alone. But once again, I am not a piano player. I don't practice. I took a few years going through the cornfield to my great aunt Ruth's house, but I'm not a piano player. I don't practice. I'm six and a half feet tall. I'm not a basketball player. I don't practice. These are things I would not call myself because I don't do them. Earlier this week, I got to go to uh, Borculo Christian's um, assembly, and afterwards we got to go out for recess for a little while, and uh, I watched those who regularly practice, especially uh, middle school students, and I was like, I am not playing football or basketball with this group of kids because I don't practice, so I am none of the things that they actually are. And maybe out of pride, I don't want to get shown up either because, I mean, seriously, Grant, you, you dunk on me, but... But do we put things into practice or not? Can we say that we are something if we don't practice them at all? Now, I still have my black belt. It sits in a particular corner of my house out of sunlight so the colors don't fade. I know that sounds really vain, but I care about it. That's something I still kind of practice. Like, I can still throw the hook kick over the microphone, so I would still say, yes, I am a martial artist, because that I still practice at least a little bit. But the more important thing to practice here and what Jesus is getting at is the instruction of your faith. Is it practiced or not? Because if it's not practiced, what are we kidding ourselves if we call ourselves something that we don't actually do? Don't call yourself a basketball player and then go play against people who actually practice if you don't. Don't call yourself a musician if you don't practice and put into practice that which you have learned. Raw talent is not what Jesus is, is interested in. God gives us all gifts, but then it's the practice of those gifts. Even hearing from Macy this morning of the AMT, Advanced Missionary Training, there's learning and then there's also putting into practice that we grow over time. Practice does not mean perfect performance, but it means to continue to make faithful attempts. And I wonder at this point in the season of Lent, let's say that um, whether you're regularly here or not, uh, maybe for the season of Lent, you put something into practice for Lent. Maybe it was a practiced fast. I'm going to give this up. Maybe it's a food. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's social media. Maybe it's this other thing. Maybe we've practiced giving something up so that we pay attention. We practice a holy disruption so that we can pay attention to our need for God and what actually fills in our time. Maybe you took on a practice of reading, scripture reading or prayer, and you've tried to put that into practice, and faithful attempts are made. Based on personal experience and repetition of history, I would say right about this time of Lent, we're a few weeks in, this is the time where we're most tempted to say, oh, I'm kind of over this fasting thing. Maybe it's a little bit harder. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I don't need to. Or maybe you uh, talked yourself into a little bit of gray area on your fast, and you're like, well, I already kind of messed up my fast, so whatever, I'll just give it up. I would say, please don't. Lent is about practice. So you fasted, so you partook of what you were fasting from. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. Maybe you set out with a certain rhythm to pray during Lent, and you've missed a few times. Maybe you've fallen behind whatever you set out in Scripture reading. Keep practicing. Don't worry about perfect performance. Keep practicing. Because 
as Jesus tells this parable, and as Matthew and Luke both record it, the storms will come, the floods will come, the wind will come, whether you call it a torrent or a great wind. And yet, at some point or another, the fate of the house is based not on performance, but on, well, were these things being practiced? Were they being given faithful attempts? I think this is the part of Lent where we make a breakthrough, and if we do keep practicing, even without perfection, now's where we enjoy the fruit of it. But I think that's also when we're most tempted to give up what we're practicing, whether it be an applied discipline or a fast of restraint. Keep practicing. And because we can experience the grace, both the invitation and challenge to keep practicing, like a runner who needs to go out in all kinds of weather to keep practicing, like the musician who keeps getting stuck to keep practicing, and yet we also know that there is some effort and grace both together because God's grace is free, but it's not cheap grace. In Luke especially, one thing that stands out to me, and we could, we could write a small book and talk for hours about the subtle differences between Matthew and Luke's wording, but maybe something that I'm more familiar with Matthew that Luke stands out to me is that verse 48 of Luke 6 says, that the ones who's putting this into practice, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on rock. Who dug down deep. There seems to be some sort of applied discipline to this, that there's some scooping around to do, that there is some sand ever shifting, ever changing, ever kind of at every whim, sand will move. There's some getting past all of our whims and desires of like sand to get down to the rock of foundation to get down to beyond that which is shifting and changing and ever learning and growing, and change can be good and learning and growing are good. There's something good that we can learn from sand, but for where we build, for what we put into practice, we need to find the unchanging, solid, steady rock. Now, I also know that today's modern irony is that we take heavier dirt away to put sand in place before we build. That's not quite the point of the parable. The point is, is that there is a foundation and where it's built matters. What's being put into practice matters. We pay attention to how we spend our time, who we spend our time with, where we spend our money on, and what not just our hunger physical appetites, but what are our appetites for? What are we putting into practice? And if we're looking for what to practice, we could reread the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, and especially paying attention to things that, that Jesus doesn't assume that we might do, but Jesus seems to assume that we will do. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, when you fast, when you give. These are the things that Jesus speaks with assumption that people would be doing. Are they being put into practice that when we pray, we're not doing it for parade and show, but that we're doing it out of devotion to God? Do we put that into practice, not assuming, well, God already knows everything that I know and God knows about my life, so I don't really need to pray. No, it's practicing a conversation that we practice speaking with God. Because when we have a conversation with a friend, we're thinking about how to articulate what we want to express to them, what we want to say to them. We're thinking about how they receive it and, and how they understand us. This is the invitation of prayer that God says, practice this with me. Practice bringing everything that you're thinking about to me. 
and practice thinking about how I think of you with grace and favor. Put these things into practice. This is the difference between a house that falls with a great crash or collapses and its destruction was complete, Matthew or Luke, versus being on some sort of foundation, some sort of rock, some practices that we put into practice. I still think, back to that conversation on the airplane years ago, I'm a religion student. Is it an intellectual pursuit or do you practice? I think about how easy it is to get caught up only in the intellectual pursuit and not in the practice. Now, we're in the Reformed tradition here. The Reformed tradition has a really strong history of being good thinkers and putting a lot of intellect into our thought and theology. And there is great benefit in that, and it's a good thing. But here's the downside. Sometimes we can get caught only in intellectual theory and not in practice. And this happens to me. I'm not exempt from this. I start reading Richard Foster's book on prayer, and I learn all these cool things about prayer and cool things about the traditions of history and how the church has prayed together. And then at some point I have to ask myself, okay, am I actually praying or am I just reading a book on prayer? Reading a book on prayer is great, but also without praying itself, well, it's only an intellectual pursuit and not a practice. Are you a praying person? Is it a yes or no? Maybe the best answer that we can give is, I practice. I practice prayer. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not always very good at it, but I practice. Do you read your Bible? Not everyone can say they read their Bible cover to cover every year. But could we say in honesty and integrity, I practice. I do practice. Some attempts are made, some faithful attempts with my true best effort. I practice. Because sands will shift. Things in life will change. But the foundation is based on what we practice in both Matthew and Luke. And so, friends, I would simply ask this in closing. What are you practicing? Let's pray. God, you are generous in the gifts that you give. You generously give your gifts, your love, your grace. You generously give us the gift of your word. Jesus, in the fullness of generosity, you came, were born into this world, dwelt with us, were made incarnate, God made flesh. And you, in your generosity, you shared, you taught. You gave us these parables that we study during the season of Lent here at North Holland. You gave us your life and your death and your resurrection as gifts. And so as we hear these words of yours, simply put as you simply put it to us, may we put them into practice. May we have some perseverance. When sometimes practice is hard, any discipline of any area at some point has practice that's hard. So God, give us the perseverance. Instill within us a holy motivation to practice what you have given us. That our faith may not just be a theory, but that it may be an activity of our life and that it may not be peripheral, but that it might be central. So God, may you instill within us all that we need that we can hear these words with our listening ears.
and that from our hearts and our hands we might put them into practice. For whatever rains and storms and winds come against us, that we may know that our foundation of practice rests with you and that you can take our feeble attempts, our failures at times, and that you can take our practice and make it something strong and beautiful. Lord, this we offer before you in prayer and in word and deed. Amen.